The path leading to the marble steps of the U.S. Supreme Court building demands patience from all parties. When at last the journey ends, the justices offer no consolation other than their opinions. Welcome to Copyright Clearance and podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. On Monday, the journey ended for the Authors Guild in their copyright infringement case against Google. That suit began in 2005, and a generation later in Internet time, it concluded in favor of the web giant. Andrew Albany, senior writer for Publishers Weekly, joins me now with all the details. And Andrew, welcome back to Beyond the Book. Hey there, Chris. Well, indeed, this is a subject we have discussed numerous times on this program, and you've written about extensively for Publishers Weekly over that period of 11 years. And here we are, finally, it is over. On Monday, the court denied certiori in the Authors Guild versus Google case, which means they weren't even going to bother to hear it. And it's a case we've lived with for over a decade now. Yes, mercifully, the case is over. Um, But that's not to say that there aren't a few questions still lingering. And I'm going to just start with the most obvious one, which is, why did this take so long? And, you know, I really don't have an answer for that. And I ask that question mostly as a way to say that I am honestly kind of surprised and shocked that this case went as long as it did. Uh, now, as you mentioned, this case was first filed in 2005. In fact, I think you and I first met around this case. Uh, we I think we did a podcast together over this case, and I know you did an event in New York that I attended. But it was a whole different world in 2005. You remember Napster had just sort of leveled the music business, and publishers were still very rightly concerned about Google was up to scan all these books, and perhaps understandably so. But as the world moved on, this case, I'm afraid, became, frankly, something of an albatross for the author's guilt. Well, yeah, indeed, uh, the world has moved on. Uh, 2005, I mean, that is, as I say, a generation ago in web time. I think Facebook was still restricted to the Harvard campus, and YouTube was just beginning to launch. And I guess it's time to cue that old Beatles song, A Long and Winding Road. (laughs) And I have to say, as a reporter, I'm going to sort of miss that long and winding road. This was a a terrific case to follow. Uh, At least it was for the first few years when there were all kinds of interesting issues uh, being raised in it. And, you know, I'll take this as an opportunity to refresh our listeners' memory. Uh, The Authors Guild versus Google was first filed in September of 2005, and, and that was followed uh, closely by a second similar suit from publishers in October of 2005. Uh, in 2008, you'll remember the litigation was shelved while all three parties, that's Google, the Publishers, and the Authors Guild, stumped for a controversial sell- settlement that would have turned Google's index into something of an online bookstore. And you may remember in 2009, I wrote sort of the first major piece suggesting that this settlement was doomed, uh, which my editor put on the cover of Publishers Weekly with a picture of a swirling toilet bowl. And I still remember to this day a very angry phone call from a certain CEO close to the settlement who said that any notion that the settlement was failing was complete whole – well, I'm not going to say that word, but he was pretty angry. Of course, in 2011 – Judge Denny Chin did reject the settlement, and that came amid really strong opposition that included Amazon and the U.S. Department of Justice. And what I think was the most curious move of all, following the settlement's rejection, the Authors Guild actually doubled down on its infringement claims by filing a parallel suit against Google's scanning partners, uh, the Authors Guild versus Hottie Trust, the library scanning partners, I should say. This was a coalition of university libraries. Uh, and this is really 
when it all started coming apart for the Authors Guild. In October 2012, Judge Harold Baer delivered the first ruling in the case, an emphatic summary judgment ruling in favor of the Hottie Trust, in which Baer concluded that he could not imagine a definition of fair use that would compel him to shut down what he called an invaluable contribution to the progress of science and cultivation of the arts. Uh, so shortly after Baer's ruling in 2012, the publishers got the message and they dropped their suit against Google, which technically was still alive, even though they weren't doing much to litigate it. And I remember AAP President Tom Allen told me at the time that they dropped the case because – Frankly, the world had changed a lot. And he was right, of course. You know, by this time, we now had a real ebook market thanks to the Kindle. We had the iPad. We had a price fixing suit over the agency model. So, you know, creating an index out of a bunch of out of print books that aren't making money for anyone, for the publishers, that just wasn't such a big deal anymore. Just over a year after that, in November 2013, Judge Denny Chin echoed Judge Bear's findings in his summary judgment ruling for Google, a ruling which I reported at the time read more like a ringing endorsement of Google's scanning effort. Uh, in short order, Bear's ruling was affirmed by the Second Circuit unanimously. And last October, Chin's decision was also affirmed unanimously. And I guess the point of running down all this history is to say that eight judges have looked very closely at Google's scanning, and all eight judges have said that not only was it a fair use, but that it was, well, kind of awesome. And yet the guild fought on. Well, indeed. And, and you pointed out that AAP bailed some years ago. What was it that took the Guild to the bitter end? Do you, think? you know, I honestly don't know. For some reason, the Guild really seemed to conflate the difficulties authors are facing in the digital age uh, with a copyright issue. And in their statement after the Supreme Court's denial, Mary Rasenberger, the Authors Guild Executive Director, said that the court was blinded by Google's public benefits argument. And Authors Guild President Roxana Robinson added that the denial was actually more proof that we're witnessing this vast redistribution of wealth from the creative sector to the tech sector. So it really sounds like there was an animating principle behind this case going on. And you know, I guess you can make the argument, uh, and many people are making the argument, that tech companies are sort of profiting off the backs of creators. But to put all that onto the backs of this, of Google's digitization, of this copyright case, I think may have been ill-advised. Well, as you say, we are hearing a lot about the impact that the tech companies are having on publishing and the entire media industry, the creative economy of the U.S., but that is for another time, and of course that argument will continue beyond uh, this particular court case. But the case has been answered, at least finally, by the Supreme Court, yet there are questions that remain for you. What are they? Yeah, and in Monday's issue, I'm going to be looking at some of those questions. And mainly that question is, you know, now that the case is over in the courts, it's really going to start heating up, I believe, in the policy arena. And, you know, there's almost certainly more to come in a number of copyright. I mean, copyright reform has been moving slowly so far, but it has been moving. And it has been moving globally, not just in the U.S., but, you know, in Europe as well. Last week in London, we talked about how Google was the cause of a lot of fear in the EU because of the European Commission's copyright proposal. Indeed, Hachette CEO Arnaud Nouri said that Google was perhaps the biggest threat, which I think kind of surprised me that he would still see Google in that light. And I think it's almost poetic that on the same day that the Supreme Court decision came down on, on Monday the 18th, Authors Guild President Roxana Robinson was at a symposium at George Mason University for a seminar on moral rights and copyright. Of course, we don't have moral rights on copyright in the U.S. They do exist in Europe, but I think that's something the Authors Guild would like to see imported into any update of the Copyright Act here, I, which I don't think is going to happen, but it's an interesting discussion nevertheless. But here's the thing. I think that the Authors Guild's decade-long litigation has kind of hurt them 
in their efforts to sort of push copyright reform in their direction. And I talked to a couple of lawyers, including James Grimmelman, who sort of agree with that. For one, you know, the case is pretty resolutely decided now that it's fair use for Google. Um, but more than that, over 11 years of litigation, it really has sort of forced the tech industry to up its lobbying game. You know, as you well know, it's a lot harder to pass a law than it is to block one. And as it stands right now, uh, the copyright law kind of works for the tech industry. And now that they're pretty well entrenched in Washington and they found a number of allies on issues with the library community, with uh, public advocacy groups like the EFF and uh, public knowledge, basically, they no longer have to sort of push for copyright law to move in their direction. They just have to push for it to stay the same. So I'm not sure that 11 years of legal bills and pushing this case forward over out-of-print books was the best use of the Authors Guild's uh, capital. But time will tell. I do think we're going to see quite a push in the coming years for copyright reform. Well, the Google Book case has ended, and so has our podcast conversation for this week. Andrew Albanese, senior writer at Publishers Weekly, thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Book. My pleasure, as always. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global rights licensing technology and content workflow organization. At CCC, we serve more than 35,000 customers and 15,000 copyright holders worldwide. We manage over 950 million rights in the world's most sought-after journals, books, blogs, movies, and more. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book. Mm-hmm.